We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to a special episode of Big Screen Sports, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and presented by Manscaped, where you can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the promo code BIGSCREEN. About a month ago now, ESPN ran a documentary called Koshian, Japan's Field of Dreams, that followed two coaches and their teams as they tried to win Japan's high school baseball championship. A few months ago, we did an episode with the guys over at Tipping Pitches about baseball documentaries we'd like to see, and one of the co-hosts of that show, Alex Baisley, pitched like essentially that exact thing, something just like that. So uh, coming on the show today, I am talking to his co-host, returning to big screen sports, it is Bobby Wagner from the Tipping Pitches podcast. Bobby, thanks so much for returning to this pod. Well, thanks for having me, Kyle. I'm happy to be here. This is a Really amazing doc. It kind of blew me away that I guess six weeks after Alex pitched that almost exact documentary, I saw it coming across the uh, the PR slate in the old inbox. So I don't know, I'm excited to talk about it. I hope that a lot of people have seen it to this point, but if not, I think it's going to be streaming at some point in August. TBD on where it's actually streaming, but I hope that people have gotten the chance to watch it. Yeah, when you you uh, you slid into the old DMs and gave me the heads up that this thing was coming out, and one, it was wild because it, you know, like I said, it was basically what Alex had pitched, and two, it was the exact kind of baseball documentary I think we'd all love to see, especially coming on the heels of what was was pretty fair to say a disappointing long gone summer, a very substance substanceless documentary. A Wikipedia so, page dog, if there ever was one. <laughs> a uh, a home run mixtape, which like sounds, it's more fun to watch on YouTube than it is when you're you're trying to to get something. But um, Bobby, before we we get into our thoughts on the doc, where can they find your pod and your interview with the director of this film? Yeah, uh, tipping pitches well, wherever you hear your podcast. Just go ahead and search wherever you hear your podcast. Just go ahead and search uh, tipping pitches. We release every Monday. Uh, our director with Emma uh, Yamazaki, who's the director, or our interview with Emma Yamazaki, who's the director of uh, of Koshen, I think it was about a month ago now, probably. 
It was um, like she, right when the doc dropped, which is when you and I had talked about doing this episode, and then that just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both forgot about like multiple recording dates for this episode, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, we're doing our best here in, in month six or seven of quarantine. Uh, yeah, so search for Tipping Pitches wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Tipping underscore Pitches. Uh, Emma gave us a lot, of, a lot of her time, and she was really generous with it, and we got to talk about a lot about uh, some of the choices that she made in the documentary. So I think it'll be, if you like the doc, I think it'll be beneficial to, to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, I thought it was a really enlightening interview. I really enjoyed it, um, hearing her perspective, hearing the, um, you know, her wanting to tie it into society, like tie the tie the baseball craze into society and what that means. I think it was really, the, the job she did was really effective. And I, like, I don't want to keep shitting on Long Gone Summer, but it's so much better <laughs> And like, it brings so much more to the table than Long Gone Summer. Before we get into like the nitty gritty, just what was, when you watched it, what was your initial impressions of the film? Like when, when credits rolled, what did you think to yourself? I think the first thing that stuck out to me was that this is made by a filmmaker, like a capital F filmmaker. The look of it, the feel of it, the cinematography, um, the wide angle shots, like everything about it from the very beginning was like, well, we're not trying to make pop entertainment. We're trying to make almost like cultural ethnography, which as somebody who studied American studies in college, American studies and journalism, this is kind of a perfect intersection of those two things. And I I just thought it was so intimate from the very beginning. In the first couple of scenes, um, the, 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 the film is following two high school baseball teams in Japan as they make their trek towards the Koshan tournament. And I just thought that to immediately start out so personal and get right in the faces of these young high school baseball players. I, that was what really stuck out to me in the first place. Just the ability, the, the obvious filmmaking ability that went into the craft that went into this doc. It it was unusual for a sports documentary, even for like really good sports documentaries. You know, you've dumped on long gone summer a couple of times, but um, even last dance, like the filmmaking was on a different level just because it was much more uh, pristine and much more uh, cinematic. I thought it felt really authentic. And that's not to say like documentaries inherently are authentic um, as long as they're not made with like horrible intentions. But <laughs> I, I, it just, it wasn't set up to be. Or as long as they're not like, told by the subject in the case of the last dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as long as you're not giving the subject an iPad to comment and, and meme meme himself with everything. Um, there are many versions of authenticity in our society these days, Kyle. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But it, it was it was very much not like a popcorn flick documentary. It was just it was authentic, it was raw, it was right it was just right there. I don't really have I, I don't really have I'm not articulate enough to go deeper than that, but it was just so authentic and it felt exactly like what this needed to be. It would have felt weird if she took this extremely important cultural event in Japan and just what baseball means to the country and made it very like and just sugarcoated it a lot. And I think it was what the, the way she did it was was really perfect um so i i want to break it down into basically kind of three ways of thinking about this just kind of like just basically get our thoughts out 
uh, actual baseball and then the culture, Japanese baseball culture in general. And then I have a, a couple miscellaneous things that I just, I just want to get out there. Sure. But, um, and I, and I, I need to preface this that I am horrible with traditional American names. And so I, I have included as few of the players' names as possible, but I did include um, the the coach, Coach Mizutani mm-hmm. of Yokohama Hay- Hayato. Yes, uh, he he's the ma- he's the main coach. Um, I I really like. I thought he was a very compelling character as a baseball coach for a documentary. He seems he's very intense. He's very dedicated, which I think is very much a part of just Japanese baseball, but he's clearly fair and caring about his players, about his family, about the sport in general. There's a lot of American football similarities with baseball in Japan, like high school American football. And the one, like the stereotype that coach ain't home much definitely, definitely is right there with American football. Yeah. I mean, I, we actually asked Emma about that, about that moment where she's interviewing Mizutani um, his sister and his wife who are running his business, the family business while he's away coaching high school baseball. And, you know, I asked her, I was like, that, it seems like a whole documentary in itself. Just the, the role that women play in terms of keeping the economy going while men are coaching baseball full time <laughs> and like sleeping away at, at high schools, you know, coaching baseball, like a boarding camp. And when, mil- when will my husband return from the diamond? Yeah, literally. When will my husband return from Koshian? Uh, maybe that should have been the subheader of the film. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think you're right. Mizutani, a really compelling character. Um, and one that one that I think actually is emblematic of how the rest of the coaches run their show. I mean, obviously, there's a spectrum of how strict versus how... Um, lax different coaches are in japan and and you know and here too um but we asked emma that and we said do you think that this is a good representation of uh how the rest of the coaches operate in the country and she was like i think he's actually on the looser side as opposed to some of the more strict characters that terrifying they they interviewed yeah i mean it's it's maybe we can get into that right now but just how regimented the entire operation is there it's actually kind of shocking because you might read about it, you might hear about it, you might know. The one thing that you might know is the pitch counts of the pitchers in the tournament because Matsuzaka and Kikuchi and Otani, like the things that you hear about these guys before they come over is, well, their elbow might be shredded because they threw 200 pitches on back-to-back-to-back-to-back days in their high school Koshan tournament. And... I think that's a really narrow lens into what Japanese baseball is, but that is the one thing that I would say most semi-dedicated American professional baseball fans could tell you about Japanese baseball. It was absolutely my my biggest, like the most notable thing about Japanese, like the thing I knew the most about was just that stigma. Um, and they, they touch on it a little bit in the film about the actual... When when they get to the actual tournament, they they mention that voiceover about the worry of overuse, the health of pitchers. But they they also mention the the I believe the championship team or one of the teams that was in the championship. They say that the pitcher had pitched every inning for the team since the the initial tournament that gets them into to Koshian. You basically ride one pitcher to survive. So that yeah. that sense of I guess that sense of duty though, and that sense of 
putting your team on your shoulder, like it, it being your duty for your school and your teammates is still very much alive with Japanese baseball. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that there is a definitely a critical element, a critical lens that you could take on that aspect of it. And you could take a, a toxic masculinity lens to a lot of the stuff that goes on in the film. But I don't think that that was what Emma was mostly interested in doing in uh, in this documentary. I think it was more to try to give it depth and layers to the international audience, especially to the American audience where baseball started, obviously. Um, because it is, it is nuts. This tournament... We should talk about the tournament itself first because it's it's paramount to understanding why the documentary is interesting. The tournament is like the Super Bowl combined with March Madness, combined with like high school state playoffs, combined with the Little League World Series, and then also combined with the regular World Series in terms of crowds and the atmosphere at the actual tournament. It's it's unlike anything I've ever even considered. It's basically like how I felt playing Little League when we would make it to like states or districts or whatever it's called now. But like it's as like if I was actually about good. Texas high school football, but like imagine Texas high school football if everyone in, in the United States was paying attention to the one like Texas high school football championship game. Yeah, and playing in a single elimination tournament over the course of two weeks, like every team in Texas, you know? Yeah, well, not to mention the single elimination aspect of, of, of coaching of the main tournament, but how you get in being a single elimination tournament. And I guess like your region or whatever, like it is a brutal existence that it, and all this training, the, all the running tons of meetings, like for what seems like very few games, I, I wasn't, I don't have from, I will say from the documentary, I'm not sure you get, the best grasp of like, I had trouble kind of grasping time, like what kind of what time it is, how many, you know, are they playing other games? They bring in a team for a scrimmage, but then it's like, okay, then they, they go play their tournament. And then you, you know, they, uh, Mizutani's team has that, that tragic result, but it's like, are they really just gearing up for the, just the tournament? And that's it. I didn't really, did you talk to, it was that something you, you, have gleaned from this like do you have any idea more than i do yeah i think they play scrimmages against other teams in their prefecture i don't think it counts towards anything um but i think they play crazy that's like you know this is directly into the playoffs with no regular season (laughs) i think yeah i mean i if anything i think there might be a small like a short regular season that doesn't count towards anything um but i actually don't know the answer to that it's an interesting question because in this in this current moment in MLB, we're very familiar with the word intra squad, and it feels like um, it feels like those Japanese high school teams are playing a lot of intra squads to see who actually makes the team. Yeah, there's so much pressure geared up towards that. You see the um, the player who's deemed the captain, the 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 seniority member of Mizutani's team, the pressure he's under to one be a leader on his team and to just to make the a squad like he's not able to eat it it's crazy and it's all for this one big tournament it, it's an ins- i i don't want to i initially want to say that's insane but it's more it's just like it is such a build-up 
to a single big event, whereas American high school sports, you do get your you get your puff piece regular season, which I think this is something that was much different than what the Japanese baseball players are doing. I think in any American high school sport, you get your, you know, like you take, I mean, you take baseball, you take basketball, you get like your, your 20 games, you get, you know, your non-district games, you get your games that are counting the, counting the scorebook, but really don't matter. It's where your, your bad seniors get innings and, and take ABs and stuff and where it's more about, Hey, you're all playing. This is great. Whereas it is so, these guys are so geared up for this one important thing. There's really no, there's no fluff in their season. Really, everything is serious. Everything is is stress heading for this one big tournament, which I, I think is really, really interesting. And it's got to be an incredible amount of pressure to be under at 15, 16, 17 years old. Yeah, I mean, I think the foundation of that is something that they say pretty early on in the film in that when baseball came to Japan, there was no such thing as sports. There was only martial arts. And so they thought of baseball and they ideated about baseball in the culture by thinking of it like a martial art. (laughs) And so I think that explains a lot that informs a lot of what comes later in the documentary, just in terms of how competitive, but respectful it is, how um, humble a lot of the characters that you see are about the results and about even making the team or not making the team. You know, you alluded to, different seniors trying to make the team and it's like if you go to high school for three years and 360 days a year all you do is practice baseball and learn fucking algebra and then you don't make the team by your senior year to play baseball is an understatement you live eat breathe sleep baseball yeah, and and you, like you shave your head for baseball. You you have to shave your head. You can't even have like your own creative hairstyle when you're 16, which I know is something that I I found very important in my life when I was 16. If you go back and find those old photos of me, <laughs> um, I was not willing to shave my head for very much or anything at all when I was 16. But I think that level of pressure is almost unprecedented in terms of like American sports, American youth sports. I don't think that anything really compares to it. You know, you threw out Texas football, but like Texas football players go on to play at UT and then they go on to play in the NFL. These kids might not go on to play anywhere. A few of them make it to MPB, but a lot, many of them don't. And even fewer of them come over to play in Major League Baseball. And I think that's another element of the doc that's really interesting in that they actually talk to a lot of the players who are current a lot of the Japanese players who are currently playing in Major League Baseball who played in Koshan about how important it was to them. You get a Hideki Matsui sighting, which is big. But one of the the big differences between this and like American football or American high school sports is one and like if you haven't seen this, I think cl- like click 30 seconds twice. The scene where he announces the the A team and he doesn't put those seniors on there, including the captain, I believe it, it was hard to tell all the guys apart because they shared the. No, same I think the ca- the captain makes it, but the he guy who it, you, the, yeah, the guy who you alluded to who needed, they told him that he needed to. I don't know his name either, but who they told him he needed to gain weight to make the team because he wasn't big enough to to hit well. 
That guy doesn't mm-hmm. make the team. So the dude yeah. who was sitting on the sideline, not allowed to even play in the scrimmages, and he was just sitting there eating rice. Like, yeah, he doesn't make the he doesn't make the squad. Yeah, and and then he gives him the coach gives him the how can I put you on this team speech, which is like incredible blunt honesty it would never happen american high school sports rarely like seniors just don't get cut it's not part of this culture um a lot of times seniors won't play or they will get you know if if you know there will be seniors on an american high school football team that you know play for two or three minutes max all season but they they get their time they get to be a part of the team this is very cut and dry but the difference between this and american football or even like high school sports is this they're very conscious of this is about preparing you for the rest of your life because like you said bobby there a lot of these guys are not going to play after high school and and they're very very upfront about this is you know this is how you prepare for the rest of your life this is where you learn lessons that are going to carry through you know not in sports but in life whereas i think there is very much a lot of stigma about american high school sports that is very true that like oh this is the best time of your life and you need to enjoy this that is not the case in this which i think is i don't know though i think i think that they would say that it is you know i think if you ask these players i think they would say that it is it's not like the goal of it though it's not like they're They they very much talk about bringing this with you for the rest of your life and and learning from it as opposed to thinking back on this as a fond memory, like when you were the starting strong safety for the 4A district champions. It's just a different, it's just a different kind of, uh, a different, a, a very much a different approach. And they don't, they don't sugarcoat anything. I think the blunt honesty with the players is really, I think it's really powerful. I think it's something that American sports could, could really take a look at. Like the whole you know, not everyone making the team, not everyone getting, you know, to participate in this tournament that is the biggest thing in the world. These coaches aren't taking all their seniors and then some good younger guys because it's doing right by the seniors. Doing right by the seniors is taking the best team that they've all been intersquatting with and practicing together and stuff. It's, it's, it's very, it is very refreshing to see in a way, but it's also, a little unnerving to see how serious it gets in that same regard. Yeah, I mean, it's sports divorced of social politics, which is something that we don't have at all here. All we have is social politics from the time you're in our sports, I mean, in, in our lives too, but we don't need to talk about that because this is big screen sports. Um, <laughs> it's, all, it's all you see from the time you're seven. It's like, does the kid make the team or does the kid lose the spot because his dad is the coach? I was going to say in Japanese baseball, like there's no way, I mean, I'm making a a broad assumption here, but you can't see a scenario where one of these dads goes up to the coach's office and influences the coach to put his kid (laughs) in shortstop. No, 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 absolutely not. And even you see in the doc, Mizutani, he sends his son over to the the other school in a different prefecture coached by Sasaki, who's one of the other main characters of the film. Um. Sasaki, and he who is does, just rife with all the success that Mizutani has desperately has wanted his whole life, yeah, yeah. desperately wants. But Mizutani sends his son away to play for a different team that could be more competitive and could make him better, as opposed to you got to feel like if if that is that scenario is taking place in America, um, 
that kid is going to Mizutani's high school and is getting the red carpet rolled out for him. Oh, for sure. Well, the thing is, it wasn't just like Mizutani was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to favor him. He sends him away. And then he he makes like he does he I don't think he makes Sasaki's team, but he definitely is like No, he does, notable. he does. He makes the team. He hits he, he hits he in hits, the cleanup spot. <laughs> yeah, and, and Mizutani sent that away. Yeah, it's a level of I think um humility and doing right by the kids that I think you don't really get here a lot. I mean that's not to say that you would never see something like that here, but in most instances I don't I don't think you would. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the belt grooming. Now Manscaped wants me to push the lawnmower 3.0 and for good reason. It's an incredible trimmer. Uh, I, like many of you, have unfortunately savaged my balls while using inferior trimmers. So the, the Lawnmower 3.0 is, is the greatest trimmer ever created. But I want to shout out Manscaped's new underwear. Uh, I had had Manscaped underwear in the past and it wasn't quite up to snuff. And I just got some new Manscaped underwear and it is top tier. It is up there with any sort of other underwear that you have heard advertised on podcasts and it is at a much cheaper price uh, i am a huge fan of manscaped underwear i just bought myself a couple new pairs just because i was so impressed with it but between the underwear the lawnmower 3.0 manscaped is just fucking killing it and i encourage you to use promo code big screen at manscaped.com get 20 percent off and free shipping that's your lawnmower 3.0 your underwear you can get a, a grooming kit on there 20% off and free shipping with code BIGSCREEN at manscaped.com. Uh, help this pod, and more importantly, help your balls. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by our presenting sponsor, betonline.ag. Sports are finally coming back. Finally, I watched baseball tonight. That's crazy. Real, live baseball. Uh, no better place to start betting on baseball, betting on everything else, than our exclusive partner, BetOnline. Get in on the action for you know UFC fights, NASCAR, Formula One, Premier League, and again, baseball, folks. Baseball. BetOnline also has uh, daily simulations of Madden, NBA 2K, a bunch of stuff to do at BetOnline. Visit BetOnline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Two things about the actual tournament that we saw that I want to touch on. The the crowds, you you mentioned it earlier, like how crazy the crowds are. It reminded me a lot of baseball in Latin countries, which I've I've watched mm-hmm. a lot of baseball in Mexico um, and, and baseball in Venezuela. And those crowds are like incredible. They're rowdy. They're loud the whole game. You got the horns going. This is these are very intense, loud crowds as well. And like. I realized, like, why does America have the worst crowd standards in the world of baseball? It's awful compared to these. Like, these other countries look like great. Like, if you go watch the the Mexican Winter League, it looks like a blast every game. And it, in a lot of baseball game, and I get it, it's 162 games in the scorching heat, but a lot of games just feel like you're in a morgue. Uh, I mean, how much time do we have, man? I <laughs> <laughs> We got all night, man. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it starts in large part because there's a certain, there's a different kind of respectability about American baseball in that we think of it as a national pastime. We think of it as like, almost like academic, you know, you have to be the type of fan who knows everything about the history of your team 
in order to be the true fan. Because baseball has been here since its inception, and baseball is, you know, the very cliche phrase, but here we go, woven into the fabric of American history in a way. Oh, what a cliche. I mean, it, it that's true. However, that doesn't mean it can't be it can't be fun. And I think that primarily one of the biggest problems about baseball is that its fans are bad hangs. And maybe maybe that's because like they're they're older and they want a certain amount of uh American respectability and and humility to come with the sport, but I it's so interesting to me in this documentary, if we want to compare Japanese baseball to American baseball, that the players and the coaches' relationship is so strict in that all of the players have to shave their heads. They have to listen to the coaches no matter what. They don't talk back. They stand in a straight line. They line up their helmets on the foul lines before every game. They bow to each other before the game starts and when it ends. They bow to the umpire before the first pitch. All of these things that are very intense and maybe taken through a a United States lens might be thought of as regressive. But then you look in the stands and it's unbelievably joyful, which is the opposite of what baseball tends to be here. Where like the only version of joy that you see in a crowd at a major league baseball game is like sometimes the wave, which I find terrible and you other didn't see times any waves in this documentary. <laughs> Notice that the crowd found a way to be really good without the wave. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other version of joy that you see in baseball crowds here is corporatized. It's like Chevy rolls out a Camaro into center field during the seventh inning stretch. And someone has to answer trivia questions for the chance to win tickets to another game because Lord knows that dude who took the fucking Long Island Railroad in from the north from the south shore of Long Island probably couldn't afford to bring his family back again this weekend because it's like $150 to get to a game. So, I don't I don't know how we got to this point. I really don't, but it's such an interesting contrast between the Japanese crowds versus the crowds that I have experienced here. You mentioned joy, and that's a word I had written down too. Like there, there's a lot of serious and intensity in how Japanese baseball is perceived, and a, a lot of that is, you know, definitely has a base. But even there's joy in the crowds. There's also joy in the the players too, and like how they, even like how they take care of the field, all the things they have to do for baseball. It's not, it's not a misery like a misery loves company thing with them all doing all their running and having to do all this, this disciplinary stuff to play baseball. But as far Mm -hmm. as crowds, I would love like, you know, whenever we can get crowds back, but you know, which I'm sure is going to be soon because our, we're just handling this, this virus so well. Uh, (laughs) But maybe like major league baseball wouldn't, wouldn't go for this and wouldn't like start this. So I would, I would lean towards minor league baseball, which is the better of the two entities. Uh, get some, get some drums in the stands, get some Vuvuzelas, like encourage, like even start promos, like loud crowd night. Like, yeah, I would love, I mean, again, like even it makes watching baseball on TV better. Like watching Mexican winter league games is really entertaining. And I don't speak Spanish. I don't know majority of the players, but it's just really fun when you can, you can feel the energy of the crowd through your TV. So I would love to. I, I mean, make make crowds great again. Can can we that that would be the preferred great again slogan 
if we had to uh if we had to go for one the last like base just baseball thing the double steal squeeze walk off victory just like blew my mind dude it's better it's the best <laughs> I know. thing i've ever seen i wrote that down in my notes the fact like they made a walk off bunt interesting more power to them more power incredible to analytics have not found their way to japanese high school baseball yet let me just leave that there (laughs) incredible shit um this this documentary is also low-key a good a good dad movie and i had that written down before another another podcast did a did a good pod about dad movies but you've got a lot of grown men crying in this which like (laughs) makes it it makes it very much a dad movie like you see you feel the emotion of those old grown men crying like Mizutani cries, but you just get a lot of like general citizens watching this game and watching this stuff happen crying, which is incredible shit. Yeah, I mean, baseball tugs at the heartstrings. It's one of the most crushing emotional games that you can possibly play. I mean, maybe that's my baseball bias speaking, but how random and and frustrating and slow and then very fast it can be, I think elicits a lot of emotion and the documentary captures that really well. I mean, it's hard not to cry when you're playing in a single elimination high school baseball tournament and you get eliminated earlier than you wanted to. Um, not to spoil anything, but I it's I would cry too. But you're right, it is it is it's an inherently uh dad situation when like only boys are allowed to be near the game it's like fathers and sons because these coaches are such father figures for the players because the players are boarding away at their high school for the most part at the competitive high schools the thing that got me in the feels the most was at the end of the film when Mizutani's kind of reflecting on his job and like he's another one who is he's blunt and honest about himself there's very there's, yeah. He said I'd prefer to live in the in the um, uh, what do you say twentieth century instead of the twenty first century. He said I wish it never changed centuries. Yeah, he's he's very much he gives himself a very fair self evaluation. But like when he reflects about like maybe putting too much pressure on the kids, when he says I threw a lot of balls at them, but I needed to catch more in return. I felt that. I felt that in my heart, dude. The level of metaphor in this movie. I mean, I gushed over it on our pod, but um, Sasaki, who is the coach of the more competitive high school in the film and who coached uh, Yusei Kikuchi and Shohei Otani uh, when they were in high school, which they were, they went to the same high school, I think three years apart or two years apart, which is, um, that's a factory. <laughs> um, that's it's a, essentially uh, the Harvard Westlake of Yeah, of <laughs> seriously. Um, when he was the the scene with him watering his bonsai trees and him talking about the delicate balance between leaving the wiring on the bonsai trees to shape them as they are um, growing initially when they're young plants and then trying to find the right time to cut the wires off to let them grow to be larger once they've taken the correct shape. I mean... That is the thesis statement for the film. That's and in many ways, that is the thesis. Dad shit. Yeah, that is the thesis statement for the entire concept of, of coaching, of managing, of teaching, of parenting. It's a thesis statement for any type of mentor relationship that you take with something. Um, and I just thought that, that, that little stuff makes this documentary a socio cultural 
statement, a sociocultural document in a way that I feel like most sports documentaries do not get to. Oh, for sure. Just the the emphasis that those two coaches put on I, I kinda I kinda mentioned earlier, but just how they want to affect their players positively for the rest of their life, like how they think about this experience, this very clustered, very intense experience being a catalyst and like a uh, a core memory of their lives is is very interesting how they take they take that into account, especially when winning is so paramount. Uh, yeah. it, you could you could see a scenario easily where some like egomaniac gets completely lost in that, and you know is, is win at all costs and doesn't really give a shit about the kids. But that's that's really not that's that's the opposite of what goes on. Um, I have a couple miscellaneous things. Sure. The the first and foremost, this had me had me stumped for a lot of the movie. Every time I saw it, I this the signed Dodgers jersey in Mizutani's house was that a Rich Hill jersey? I it's, it's think Dodgers it, forty four, but it, it it can't be Rich Hill. Well, Rich Hill pitched in Japan, so I think it was. Oh shit! Okay, that's so. Then that that leads to kind of another question. What if it's like imagine if that's the Players Weekend D Mountain jersey? Because uh, hold on, Hill I'm, is, I'm confirming if whether or not Rich Hill pitched in Japan. I know he pitched in indie ball, but like, what if it's <laughs> what if that like if you just imagine what if that's the D Mountain jersey from Players Weekend? <laughs> Rich Hill, aka Dick Mountain, and it's just sitting in Mizutani's <laughs> house. <laughs> um, I I don't know why. It's a Rich Hill jersey, actually. He did not pitch in Japan. Um, that's an interesting question. Perhaps, I don't know. Perhaps Mizutani is friendly with someone in the Dodgers. I mean, I know Kenta Maeda pitched on the Dodgers for a little while while Rich Hill was there. Um, and Kenta Maeda is no longer with the Dodgers. But uh, I don't know. That is kind of really random. I, I didn't even go, think about I'm, that. I'm going to go along with thinking that it's the D Mountain Players Weekend jersey and it's sitting in Mizutani's house in Japan for reasons unknown and that makes me very happy. It's I like hope that, it is, for your sake. the happiest thought I've had in 2020. Um, <laughs> another miscellaneous thought I had, um, I had a lot of sympathy for whoever does the laundry for these Japanese baseball players. The oh my all God. dirt infields. Yeah. And it's like the the grippiest dirt I know it looks like berries on the clothes. Yeah. Um, It almost looks like mud or clay at times, you know, like Roland Garros where they play the French open. It almost looks like that, like combined with what you would think of as a traditional um, infield dirt. But yeah, you're right. You know, uh, Emma, Emma mentioned to us that there are, you know, cause we asked like, are there any women involved in this operation at all? Or any girls involved in this operation at all? And she said, um, you know, there are girls high school baseball teams. They get a lot less, and there is a Koshen tournament for the girls teams, but they get a lot less attention um, for obvious sexist reasons. But um, she said that there are uh, girls from the high schools who manage the teams, so like managers that we are familiar with that concept here. And so I would guess that they're probably the ones who have to do all that laundry that you're mentioning, which is a just a, I mean, that's a tough tough beat that's a lot of players there's like 60 players on each team and only like however 20 minutes make the team or whatever 
And it's just the dirtiest uniforms you've ever seen in your life. And they it's all wear white. Every team that, wears white, too. It's all yeah. it's either white with blue pinstripes or black pinstripes or just all white with like a cursive font across the jersey. It's odd that the the grass grass infield has not um, not really caught on in Japan because in um, NPB, there's there's I think most of the fields are dirt. Even like the the domed, all the yeah. domed turf fields. I think they're still all dirt in the infield. Perhaps, perhaps they, like I, think that it's a cowardly way to play infield. You know, <laughs> you get uh, a bad divot in the grass. <laughs> That's cowardly. I want the defense to have every equal opportunity to make every play. That's what I say, Kyle. My last, <laughs> as a uh, former my, pitcher myself. <laughs> My last college uh, summer, my last college summer ball season, are the field we played at had very thick infield grass. Like it, it was, it, it definitely wasn't grass. It should have been on a baseball team, but it was the best field I've ever pitched on. It was fucking fantastic. I can't describe how many like definite ground ball singles got snared up in that grass and ended oh, up absolutely. on the infield. It just absolutely. It was the dream. However. It might cut the other way if you think about it. You could lay down a bunt that would just absolutely die in thick grass. So I don't know. Who knows? That's true. That, Maybe there, it's just more cost effective. You know? Maybe Japan Japan has uh, uh, adopted more uh, leftist views about the necessity of lawns, <laughs> which is so such an unnecessary equalizer. thing that we do here. Yeah, exactly. Just the great equalizer. Um, the one other like the last thing the last note i had is the story of these two coaches would make for an incredible dramatic film sasaki and and mizutani i think i would love to see an actual like drama be written about that yeah the only problem and you and your listeners know this is that it's really hard to make baseball look good in a movie especially if you're casting kids to play (laughs) um that's true i don't know how good the actual baseball would look that is one thing about this doc is that it captures the actual playing of the baseball and it uses archival footage of, of frankly, just we can just narrow it down to Otani. Just getting to watch Otani in Koshien touch 100 at 18 or 17 or however old he was when he threw that hard. First person to ever throw that hard in Koshien. I mean, that for me was one of the more exciting elements of the doc too. Just seeing someone who's now a superstar in Major League Baseball that young and that adored in his country. Um, but yeah, you're right. A dramatic film, I, I would watch it. But I'm the demo, so. the I love the part of seeing Otani, and I really, I thought, the, the one, I guess, disappointment, I don't want to say disappointment, because this is like, this is a Hall of Fame documentary, it's fantastic, but I thought there was going to be more footage of classical MOB players in there, like some more, like Matsui and you know, you Darvish or anyone like that, because they, I mean, they, they have the archival footage. They filmed this thing and like Dice K's output at, at Koshin was, was legendary. So the most legendary of all time, dude, won it back to back years. How the fuck do you win this tournament back to back years? You and I just got done talking about how hard it would be to win a single elimination tournament with every high school team, even if it was just limited to Texas, but they do it for their entire country. So for him to win back-to-back years, and he lost in the championship in his third year, and he pitched every game. 
for his high school team in all of those times. That's how they did it. They had the best amateur pitcher in Japan, and they just rode the ever-living shit out of him to this I back I guess, but o- o- Otani is the most talented pitcher to ever come out of Japan. Like, he's touching 100. He has a ridiculous slider and sinker. Like, I, I don't know. You can't just ride the pitcher, I don't think, because... In Texas high school baseball, the playoffs, at least when I was in high school, the playoffs worked where you either you either have a three-game series or a one-game series, and the coaches can either agree on it, or they if they don't, if one wants a three and one wants a one-game, they flip a coin. And if you're a coach who has an absolute horse and you win that coin flip, you can get to state just based off your guy. The thing is, when you get to state, you have to play two games within close proximity of each other, so your guy can't throw one of them. So that's kind of like the rub there but koshian is that times a hundred like you just have to your guy has to be on you know 10 consecutive times or whatever it is yeah i mean it's still it's still nuts though because like i don't know i would i was one of the better pitchers like growing up on any of my teams and then i just decided i didn't want to play baseball anymore for some stupid reason but i would pitch every friday you know we'd have like weekend series and travel ball and whatever growing up and I'd pitch every Friday and we would lose like 4-1, <laughs> you know, because I would not be able to go the full game because of pitch limits or whatever. And I guess that's one element of this that they don't have it. And then on Sunday we would get hammered. So like, I don't know. It's it's still, I think, unbelievably shocking. I would love to go back and see who was on any of those teams that, that Matsuzaka played with. It was literally just him. You know, Otani at least was like hitting for himself, was probably hitting dingers in this. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it could have been that, like, Matuzaka had a couple future NPB players on his team, and they just... I know, we just don't they know just about Because yeah, they never on, played for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, on the um, the subject of, like, wanting a little bit more archival footage, is there anything, like, what more did you want to see from this? Because I, I think she had, she actually, per your interview, went to four schools, right? Yeah, I think four or five. Was there anything you like in particular you wish you would have seen besides just like in general, I could have like I could have seen five hours of this, like besides just more in general. Was there anything in particular that you wish you would have seen? No, I think I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation here, but I would have liked to dive a little bit more into like the social critical lens of what it means that like these women have to run this business by themselves i mean that might be like its own whole documentary because the the role of women as it pertains to baseball in japanese society is such a hard documentary to get the green light for you know emma was on our pod talking about how no one has ever done a documentary like this no one has gone in with high school baseball teams in japan because the the high school sports union or the high school baseball union and the the media company that like oversee the broadcasting of Kosha and have just never agreed to it because they didn't have to. And then I think for her to do this documentary and get permission to do the documentary and go in, like I think it would have been hard to explore that element and still have the ele- the the level of access that she had. Because you have to think that it's weird for these coaches to have been coaching for 30 or 40 years or whatever, and then all of a sudden have a camera filming everything that they're doing. That would be even weird here. You know, like Hoop Dreams was was revelatory because a camera finally followed kids around 
as they were like going through the preps to pros situation. And that this was like that, except like, I think even more access weirdly in a way, like obviously hope hoop dreams is like going into their home and everything, but this is like the cameras are like right in front of these kids faces and there's never been any cameras on them before in this, in this type of situation. So I don't know. That was the only thing for me that I, I identified from the film that I would have liked to hear more about, but you really didn't see much media in the faces of these coaches at all. And like the cameras no, were on and them you, all the time. I think if there had been media or local media or anything like that, the cameras, w- they, they would have included that in the documentary. Sasaki even says that he, I don't know if he says this in the film or if Emma told us this, but Sasaki apparently cut back on media availability after, I guess, uh, either Kikuchi or Otani I think it was Otani because they got eliminated earlier than they wanted to. And there were so many cameras in his face asking him what happened and what, uh, what he was going to do. And, you know, asking him about his future and asking him about throwing a hundred miles an hour. Like, and you can see in the film, he's like sobbing while camera bulbs are flashing and people are asking him a bunch of questions. I'm like, this dude is 17, man. And this film, this, this footage is going to live forever. And the poor kid just like went out there and left it all on the field. And now that you're like interviewing him about it, I don't know. So I think that there's been like a gradual rollback of like media access to these kids. But I mean, that's what makes this doc so good is that it does it in such a delicate and thoughtful and inspired way. I mean, for the reasons you just laid out, something like what I'm about to suggest is probably impossible, but this would make an incredible six to eight part, just hour long episode documentary series. Cause like really, I would just love to see every aspect. Like I left it extremely satisfied, but at the same time, having a zillion more questions about what life is like for every aspect. Like I would love to see a little more of a player's home life and a player's relationship with their family while they're off at the school and and training hard for baseball. We didn't really get the only student we get any sort of home life glimpse at, I believe is, is uh, Mizutani's son. Do I, I, am I remembering that correctly? I think that's the only one. Yeah. Who's like taking fucking BP in the living room. Like, bro, you're swinging this, you're swinging this metal bat right next to the window my guy right next to the tv i was like i don't know about all that burl living room in the mirror dry hacks real ones (laughs) now (laughs) wow that's a deep cut pat the bat pat the bat man oh no i think you're right episodic would have been really interesting i mean i don't know what the audience for that looks like but it's you and me and Alex, and we're just watching it on Netflix. <laughs> and Jake and Jordan from Baseball Barbecue. But I think um, I think that would be really interesting because the element of when is this team going to get eliminated could be there. Um, you could like follow them round by round through the tournament. But um, I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough sell. Like I'm sure it was hard to even get what they got, and to ask to like make it episodic, uh, it would have been tough. Yeah, well, it was a really good documentary. Now I just, I hope something like this happens for like Mexican baseball and, and Latin America. But I, I just need more, I need more foreign baseball documentaries. But um, Bobby, our short mini-sode is now going on 50 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me again. Tell the folks where they can find your pod, your interview with the director of this film and 
what you guys have coming up. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Kyle. I appreciate it. I always have fun chatting with you. Of course. Um, you can find my pod by searching for Taping Pitches anywhere you hear podcasts or available, obviously on Apple, Spotify, um, Stitcher, all of all of the big ones. I've made gone through great pains to get us everywhere. Um, so wherever you'd like to listen, you can listen to it. Um, you know, we just did a season preview episode. Obviously, the baseball season is starting tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 22nd. But um, our last episode, we had a bunch of really great guests on... Um, Shakia Taylor, uh, Hannah Kaiser, Meg Rowley, and Jake Mintz and Jordan Schuster from Obsessed with His Family Barbecue. And we drafted, Alex and I drafted the the 10 players most likely to produce the best baseball gifts, G-I-F, gifts of the 2020 baseball season. So that conversation was a lot of fun. So we do stuff like that over on Tavik Pitches. And we also have, you know, as I'm sure you can tell from Kyle and I's last 50 minutes of, of chat, um, we also have you know, more socioeconomic conversations about the game. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're the only socialist baseball pod out there, Kyle. <laughs> you are, you are. Yeah. I've, I've looked at all the baseball pods and you are the only one. And certainly uh, the only one that Alex Rodriguez listens to and loves. Let's get that th- out there into the world. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Everyone go listen to tipping pitches, go subscribe. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports, subscribe, rate review. You all know the drill. On Monday, we have this month's non-sports movie, talking My Cousin Vinny with my buddy Dave Ruff, who, in addition to being a great podcaster, is also an, an actual lawyer. So it was a great episode. Everyone oh tune gosh. into that. It's it's going to be great, Bobby. You need to tune in. Marissa uh, Tomei throwing harder than Shohei Otani did in Koshan in that, in that film. So I hope that everybody tunes in for that for you, Kyle. Marissa <laughs> Tomei is like... I, I think I tweeted something about this after I did my rewatch of the movie, but if they cancel the Oscars in 2021 or if they push them back, they should just hold a ceremony where they give Marissa Tomei another Oscar <laughs> for my Dude, she's Vinny. Yeah, she's throwing 103 with arm side movement in that film. It's absolutely amazing. It's one of the best movie characters. Like, And that's not hyperbole. It is one of the best movie characters ever. And it's boosted by this incredible Pesci performance that it is perfectly I mean, cast film. The, perfectly the tandem, cast film. the the scene, the I mean, the um, Mona Lisa Vito's testimony in court, like that scene is just I, I equated it to something like it is basically Vinny is just throwing up is like Chris Paul throwing up alley oops, and <laughs> Tomei is like when Blake Griffin could still jump over a car and he, she's just catching every single one and flushing it with authority. It is, it is a masterclass. She said, Colonel Jessup who (laughs) just an incredible, incredible performance. Everyone. I mean, everyone listening, who's still listening to this, check out on Monday, my cousin, Benny, me and Dave rough. It's a good episode. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you then. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.